Welcome to the United Church Podcast. We're a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love and walking in the ways of Jesus. We're striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you're encouraged and challenged by this week's homily. May the peace of Christ be with you. Well, happy Groundhog Day, everybody. The sun is out, therefore it probably means the groundhog saw its shadow, which means six more weeks. No, if the groundhog sees its shadow, it's six more weeks of winter. <laughs> Puxatawney Phil does not cover the broad spectrum of the whole United States. He's just for Pennsylvania and the East Coast. <laughs> Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's good to see you this morning. We're stepping into a brand new series this morning, which Trevor alluded to. It's called Becoming Who You Are. I got to tell you, I'm really excited about this series. We're going to be walking through this through the entirety of the month of February. And I'm really excited about it because I think it has the potential to be really powerful for us as a church, mainly because we're going to be looking at this question, who am I? Right, Joe? (laughs) There it is. Who am I? (laughs) So good. So good. So the question that we're going to be looking at throughout the course of the month is a question that centers around identity. Who am I? For some of us, this question is actually really exciting. It provides us opportunity. It's hopeful. It's exciting to see what it is that may come out of this. It's like one of those great opportunities of of self-discovery. And for the rest of us, we look at those people like, what is wrong with you? Because this question is a question full of despair. This question is a difficult question, a question that pushes me into uncomfortable places within my own psyche, uncomfortable places within my own being. I've been pushing this question off forever and ever and ever, and now, for the entire month of February, I'll see you in March. That's the other half of the people, right? Like, I just don't want to deal with this. I don't want to dive into this question or deal with it because of the existential dread that it brings for us. And I want to acknowledge right up front that this question, this series is not an easy question. It will not be an easy series for us personally and individually. I believe that this series and the things that we will be doing throughout the course of the month, the spiritual practices and the spiritual formation opportunities outside of our Sunday gathering, is going to be something that is really, really important and will really challenge us and push us into understanding who it is that we really are at the very depths of our core, at the very depths of our being. And so I want to acknowledge right up front that this is not an easy question. This is not going to be an easy opportunity for us. This will conjure up a lot of challenges for us. In fact, the ancient philosopher, this guy, Thales of Miletus in in Greece, he was asked this question. What is the most difficult piece of knowledge to understand? What is the most difficult thing for you to understand in the entirety of the world? And his answer, thyself. 
me. Understanding who I am is the most difficult process. It is the most difficult journey of knowledge that one can undertake. In fact, it continues because back in the 1700s, uh, Rousseau said that he was asked what was the most difficult thing, and he said, oh, it's not knowing myself. That's super easy. I'm going to get there. I'm going to know who I am at the very depths of my being. And then as his life progressed, he came back and he said how foolish I was. I was so arrogant to think that I could truly understand everything about myself throughout the course of my life. He, he had assumed that it was just going to be the super easy thing. And he called himself later in life arrogant and rash and then lived the rest of his life in seclusion, in shame, because he couldn't figure it out, because he had told everybody how easy it was going to be. And he lived the rest of his life in shame. You see, I believe that this journey of understanding thyself is something that cannot be done alone. I, I believe that, that Miletus and, or uh, Thales of Miletus and and Rousseau, and so many others have attempted this journey by themselves. They've thought that it is an individualistic pursuit, a pursuit that is done all by yourself, that the only way you can truly understand yourself is to spend time with you out in the wilderness, alone, to connect with who you are at the very core of your being. And while I think there is truth to that, there is another equally important side, that this must be done in community. This must be done with others, which is why we talk so much as a church, you'll never walk alone. This is something that must be done in tandem with others. This is something that must be done in a group and in a community where we can be truly vulnerable with one another Yikes, right? Like truly vulnerable with one another where we can be transparent and allow others into that space because in that we find ourselves reflected in others. And in that journey, we discover who it is that we truly, truly are. I think sometimes we can get to this question of why should we even try this pursuit? If it's so difficult, if even some of the greatest philosophers in the world have failed, if some of the greatest people that we've ever known have failed in this journey of truly understanding themselves, why should we even try this? Why should we actually take on this pursuit, this pursuit of self-knowledge and of self-discovery? Because I believe that it's actually one of the greatest journeys in spiritual formation that you can undertake. One of the greatest ways in which we get to know who God is is because of how much we know ourselves. John Calvin, back in the day, said this, One cannot truly know God without knowing oneself. And one cannot truly know oneself without knowing God. That each of these things are in tandem with one another, if you want to know who God is at the very depths, at the very core of his being, if you want to experience the fullness of God, you have to know who you are. And if you want to know who you are, you have to know who God is. It's like this tandem joint thing. It's something that is done in community. It is something that is done together in a process as one. 
I, I think that there's so much beautiful work that comes out of this. So much beautiful work in understanding who we are as we pursue God. And so much beautiful work that comes out of us pursuing ourselves and understanding these things. But the challenge is, oftentimes we find ourselves stuck. We find ourselves really stuck in this process, really stuck in this journey because we listen to what Henry Nouwen calls the five lies of identity. There are these five lies of identity that, that kind of press themselves down upon us, that, that speak into our hearts, that speak into our minds, that speak into our souls. And Nouwen says that the very first one is that I am what I have. That my identity is wrapped up in what I have. Now sure, it can be possessions. Right? It can be possessions. Like It's the car that I drive. It's the home that I live in. It's even the neighborhood that I live in. Right? It's, I, I am what I have. It's the degrees that I have piled upon one another. It's the certifications. It's the letters that come after my name. I have a friend that works in the insurance industry, and his goal is to have more than 26 letters after his name because of all of the certifications that he is amassing, right? Like, I want 26 letters after my name, right? That's amazing. That's really kind of fun. But identity wrapped up in that can be very dangerous. I am what I have. I am what I have. The, the second lie of identity that Nowen talks about is I am what I do. It's my job. I am what I do. I see a few of you starting to get a little squirmy. It's okay. It's okay. I told you this is going to be a little challenging. Right? I am what I do. That I am what my job is. Have you ever been to a party and like one of the very first questions that people ask you or a networking event, so what do you do? And you answer it and you're like, oh, well, I'm a pastor. And then the whole conversation is over. There's like, peace out. Like, <laughs> my favorite is when I answered that question, the person just, just turned and walked away. I was like, oh, uh, okay, next person, right? <laughs> These are the questions of identity that we will wrap ourselves up in our careers. We will wrap ourselves up in what we do, that I am what I do. But what happens when your job goes away? What happens when you lose your job because of cutbacks? Or what happens if you decide to have a career change because what it is that you're doing just isn't the fulfilling thing that you thought it was going to be? What if you're not able to even attain the job that you want? Or the career that you want? Or the thing that you want, that you desire? The dreams and the hopes that are wrapped up in it? What happens to your identity in those spaces? Does it just completely unravel? It's one of the lies of identity is I am what I do. The third one that Nowen talks about is I am what other people say or think of me. Ouch. I am what other people say or think of me. Have you ever been in a room and you overhear somebody say something really negative about who you are? Or you have a friend tell you, Jim said this about you. And it wasn't good. And it hurt. And it cut to the quick. It cut your heart down. It left an imprint upon your soul. And all of a sudden, you began to wonder, is that who I am? 
Am I that person? Or we get wrapped up in what other people think about us, and so we put on these airs about ourselves. We dress differently in order to have other people think differently about us. We wear different masks in different situations. We walk in and we act a certain way in a certain place in a certain environment so that people will think differently about us. Because that's what our identity is wrapped up in. I am what other people say or think of me. Or the fourth lie of identity, I am nothing more than my worst moment. So pessimistic about self, right? I am nothing more than my worst moment. Can you think back to the worst thing that you have ever done in your life? The thing that you regret more than anything else. And sit in that space and think, I am nothing more than that. That hurts. There's pain there. There's trauma there. There's suffering there. Or the converse of it is, I am nothing more than my best moment. Or I'm nothing less than my best moment. I'm nothing less than my best moment. That's called arrogance. <laughs> it's, like, it's egotism, just like run amok. I am the greatest. Bum, bum, bum. Right? Like every time you walk into a room, you think that you are nothing less than your greatest accomplishment. These are the lies of identity. As now and Henry Nowen talks about these things, he presses in on them and he says that these things are what we have pressed in upon ourselves. These are the ideas and the, the, the situations, the moments that we have taken, we have just lopped them on our shoulders and we've said, this is who I am. I know who I am now. At the depths of my being, I'm exactly what everybody thinks I am. I know at the depths of my being that I am what I am because of the job that I have or the car that I drive. I am what I am because of what I have, what I've amassed, what I've accumulated. I am what I am because of everything that I've ever done and the greatest ever. I am what I am because of my worst moment. And I've never been able to forgive myself and walk out of that space. These are the five lies of identity. As you look at that list, is there one that speaks to you? Is, is there one in that list that you say, oh, that one hurts? That's, that's the lie that I believe about myself. That's the lie. That's exactly how I have defined myself for the past 10 years, past 15 years, the past 20 years. This is how I have defined who I am. I want you to take a moment, and as you see those lies, I want you to write it down or type it out in your phone. Just scribble it down. This is the lie that I believe about myself. I'm going to give you a moment to do this. This is the lie that I believe about myself. And then I want you to attach a quick one or two-word memory device that, that reminds you of a story of why it is that you believe that. What was that moment that you're like, oh, this is, yeah, that was the thing.
What are the lies that you believe? These ideas that we press in upon ourselves. These ideas that we allow to sit heavy upon our shoulders. That is not you. That is not who you are. It is a challenge to move away from these lies. It is a challenge to sidestep everything that we have ever been told in our culture about what makes us who we are. It is a process to step into the new way of being and of truly becoming who you are, who it is that God created you to be. In Psalm 139, David writes these words as a prayer, as a song, as something that was deeply stirring within his very being. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Calvin said this, one cannot truly know God without knowing oneself. And one cannot truly know oneself without knowing God. David was clear in this psalm about how much God knows us intimately. That he knows who we are at the very depths of our being. And that the only way in which we can truly begin to discover that, who it is that we were created to be, who it is that God implanted within us, is to pursue him at all costs with everything that we have, to begin to pursue him. And in that space, as we get to know him, he will reveal to us who we are at the depths of our being. And it's a journey, and it's a process, and it takes a long, 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 long time. In fact, I guarantee, I Guarantee, I guarantee, I guarantee that this will be an unending journey. I've been married now for almost 18 years. And in the scope of those 18 years, 
I gotta tell you, Tracy still surprises me. To my chagrin, right? Like every so often she'll do or say something, I'll be like, what? Uh, that is not you. Oh, it is, isn't it? Huh. You've just revealed more about yourself to me, and I, I would hope that she would say the same thing about me, but she's smarter than I am, so I think sometimes, sometimes she gets things a little bit faster than me. But in the process of only 18 years, we've known each other for 20 years, in, in that process, in that journey of life together, we are still surprised by one another. We are still learning more and more and more about each other. And while I may live with myself 24 hours a day, while I may be present in my body 24 hours a day, I am still learning things about myself. Moments where I was like, oh, that is a lie. That I am what I have. That is a lie that I am what other people think about me. That's a lie what other people say about me. Because that is not truly who I am. That is not who God designed me to be. And if perhaps some of the actions that I am exhibiting in that space has caused people to believe that, then that's something for me to listen to and begin to work on and be shaped around. But it's not who I am. Rilke is one of my favorite poets, uh, like old poets, because... <laughs> He's been gone for a while. But in his book of hours, which is like this beautiful prayer book of poetry, he says, God speaks to each of us as he makes us, then walks with us silently out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You, sent out beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing. Embody me. You, sent out beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing and embody me. Identity is found in God. Our identity is situated in him. And when we work over and over and over and over to embody him with all that we are, to get to know him, to process our thoughts and our feelings and our understandings of who he is, we begin to understand more and more about who we are as a people, as an individual. Embody me. What are the five lies that you're wrestling with? What are the five lies that are preventing you? What is one of the five lies that is preventing you from stepping closer and closer into this understanding and relationship with God? The thing that is that barrier or that veil that prevents you from understanding you in the midst of it. I want you to look back at what it is that you wrote down. What it is that you scrawled out and said, this is that thing, this is that veil this is that peace. This is that thing that, I, that, that, that David said, search me and know me. That thing. And I want us to pray this prayer together. So let us pray. Lord God, almighty and everlasting Father, you have formed us and created us. 
You know us intimately. You know our coming and our going, our deepest desires, hopes, and dreams. May we turn away from the false self, the lies of identity that we have impressed upon ourselves, and may we turn to walk in your everlasting light of truth, knowing who we are, knowing whose we are. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.